When you're getting back into your busy fall routine but still want to make every breakfast count, try Blue Apron's new ready-to-cook meals that offer your favorite fresh quality ingredients ready in minutes. With 60-plus options each week, you can choose from an ever-changing mix of high-quality meat, fish, vegetarian, WW-recommended, and health-conscious offerings. Get a $100 gift card, plus enjoy $130 off across your first six orders when you place an order by September 23rd. Visit blueapron.com unique2022. Here's what happened on the most recent episode of the Let's Go Eat Show Double Shot. We have four different Diet Coke varietals. And we're going to taste test them to decide which is the best. Why so, am I sitting across the table from Gina? I don't get that. I don't know. I was looking forward to the thin cans, because that's part of the appeal of this, is they come in the thin can. They didn't call it bloody orange. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't call it bleeding orange. Hemorrhaging orange. <laughs> I just burped and you didn't even know. It's possible well, to do it in a rose on your nose. It is possible. I want you by the end of this to, to just belch what? into the microphone. <laughs> no, that, no. What? She tried her hardest. She barely, nobody heard that. Oh, there we Yay. go. Yay. <laughs> to listen to this episode and help support this podcast, go to patreon.com slash let's go eat show. Thank you. Welcome to the Let's Go Eat show. I'm Bill Allred, and we've got a great guest this week, Speaker of the House, Greg Hughes. That's the Utah House, of course. Mr. Hughes has been praised by many people as being a tough conservative lawmaker who, as Speaker, has been able to wrangle the diverse opinions of the Utah House into a cohesive body that gets things done, that gets laws passed. Greg Hughes has also been reviled by the few liberal lawmakers in the House and on the Hill as a too-business-friendly lawmaker who just wants the already rich to get richer while the poor are left to pick up the crumbs. Greg Hughes is still a Donald Trump supporter, but even to his detractors on Utah's Capitol Hill, Greg Hughes is respected for his ability and most people say they like Greg Hughes personally. He has a very interesting life story, which I think you'll see here on the Let's Go Eat show this time. Uh, Greg Hughes is our guest. Of course, he's stepping down as Speaker of the House and not running for re-election at the end of his term. We talk about that. We talk about his life growing up. Uh, we talk about how a rough-and-tumble kid from Pittsburgh ended up in Utah and a, being a political animal. It's Greg Hughes on the Let's Go Eat show, and uh, here he is. You know, um, I don't think I've ever, uh, I haven't ever talked to anybody who's on the other side of you, the uh, uh, like uh, uh, liberal Democrats, yeah. who don't say Greg Hughes, you know, I really kind of like Greg. He's a, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, I like I, Greg. Ben I get along. here last week. Yeah, I get along with my friend, the guys that are on the other side, and I think it actually comes from when I, my mother was, con she, she was a single mom, I'm a little kid, mm -hmm. Mormon missionaries knock on her door. She this is in Pittsburgh. in Pittsburgh. We're, we're going, by the way, as far as oh, I assume so you guess. We're not official no, I didn't or anything actually, here. But <laughs> you start it when you do. And I, but anyway, my, my grandmother wasn't, so they, my mother was interested in the missionaries, maybe uh, because of the age and the looks more than the <laughs> spiritual message at the time. But whatever, the dominoes clicked and uh, she became a member. And, uh, but my grandma, Maxine, I used to live with my mom and my grandma, Max, she'd say, Shorty, I think those Mormons are crazy. 
She you called know? you shorty. Yeah, I was shorty. Well, how, you're, how tall are you now? Well, I'm six foot, but I was yeah. I was short. You're you know, I was little. little I was a little kid, and she yeah. said, "Shorty, I think those Mormons are crazy." And I said, "Mom, Grandma, I think you're right." <laughs> but it's like it's kind of a good crazy, I think. So didn't anyway. you tell me that you got, that you grew up when you were in Pittsburgh? You uh, bar business. Uh, your family was in a bar business. So my my cousin he runs. Uh, there's a family. It's not our family, but it's a, the McTie's drive-through beer outlet and drive-through beer oh, it's okay. drive-through beer i mean you drive the car you drive these trucks and things straight through the it's like a big garage and mm-hmm. they've got cases of beer on either side but it, pennsylvania has funny liquor laws too everyone worries I about live there, yeah. yeah so you cannot buy alcohol of any kind in convenience stores supermarkets anywhere where there's a where minors would be able to enter the premise right so not only does pennsylvania have liquor stores but they have beer distributors and the unintended consequence bill of having uh, beer distributors is that Pennsylvanians, and I know Pittsburghers because I grew up, uh, it's, it has become a drinking town with a football problem. So yeah. <laughs> you go to a beer distributor and you don't buy a six pack. That's like a wine tasting, right. okay? Yeah. No, I six remember. packs are twice. You go and you buy cases. So you buy you buy Rolling Rock. That's right. From the glass line tanks of Old Latrobe, Pennsylvania. Very good. Home of, home of Arnold Palmer. Yeah. Or you buy, and I used to really like Iron City. I was going to see if Pour you Pour on the Iron. iron. City. Yep. I used to. An iron. It was kind of a stinky beer. It is, but yeah. I liked it. I've been told. Uh, oh come on, Greg! You grew you grew up you grew up in the rough and tumble way, yeah. and then and then so a friend of mine was from Elizabeth, Pennsylvania. Right, this thing is yep. right outside yep. of Pittsburgh. It is. Yep. And he uh, he he took me there and took me to Pittsburgh, and and he said, "Yeah, I remember the days." And I think they started doing it again. I think it was Iron City did it. He said, "Back in the day, they would do this beer called Old Frothing Schloss." I, this is news to me. I and it was old frothing schloss, the pale stale ale with the foam on the bottom. <laughs> How many beers did you have when I, he told you this? This I, is I, no, I know. well now I so I doubted it, but I said to him, of course, you know, he said there would be billboards, you know, get some old frothing schloss. It's the pale stale ale with the foam on the bottom, and they would show a beer glass with instead of a head of foam, it was the foam on the bottom. And I said, so when you poured it. Did it really have the foam on the bottom? And he stopped a second. And he looked at me. and said, "No, dumbass. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> of course it didn't." But I looked yeah. it up, and I think it was Iron City who did it, and they did it as a seasonal thing, and then they discontinued it. But then, a couple of years ago, they started doing it again just for fun, I guess. Yeah. Greg Hughes, uh, retiring um, politician here in the state of Utah. Draper is your. District. Uh, district in District mm-hmm. 31. It's the fighting 51st district. 51. Some people call it Area 51. We like to call it <laughs> District 51, but yeah. Uh, and ha- what part of the uh, Draper is all that? Is it all? Uh, it's most of it now. I mean, when redistricting, before redistricting, when I ran in 2002, uh, it was the middle swath, I would say. The furthest east portion uh, was east of 13th east was in a different district and west of the freeway was in another district but when after 2010's uh census uh it became almost all of draper with a slight sliver on the northeast corner which lavar christensen uh is part of the northeast Mm -hmm. um yeah northeast corner and and so it's most of draper city now uh, do you do you feel like uh, that those people who live in that district your district are as conservative as you seem to be to be completely honest with you i think when i ran in 2002 that was certainly the case i think that there's been a lot of growth in draper it's it's over it's 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 getting near 50,000 residents now Mm -hmm. um 16 years ago it would have been in the 30,000s um so there's been a lot of migration new new development new homes Mm -hmm. i i would say that 
I, I still would like to think that I represent you know the the issues. If I if I can drill down on them, the problem is sometimes that with all the bills we tackle and all the context to it, uh, people aren't necessarily going to understand what the thought process was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think if I have those chances to have town hall meetings, meeting with constituents, I think there's still that that agreement. But I think that Draper is getting a little bit more, uh, maybe pulling back a little bit. It's not as conservative as maybe it was 16 years it ago. It seems to me like Draper used to be just as red as red as red could yep. be. But yeah. now maybe it's shading a little bit. It is. I think it's a little bit more. But I'll tell you, I think that uh, as a lawmaker, Bill, I will tell you, I would still argue I'm I'm conservative. But I think that what happens when you get into the legislative process, if you really figure it out, and some actually don't, but if you figure it out, it's math. So if I have the greatest idea in the world, but I don't have 38 votes in the House and 15 in the Senate, it doesn't mean anything. It just means the status quo is going to prevail mm-hmm. and it's going to be what it is. And you get when you first get into the legislature, you want to be a saber rattler and you want to, hey, sure. this is the way it ought to be. And you're more than happy to vote no. But what you start, what starts dawning on you is no doesn't get you anywhere. So I need the most uh, conservative, uh, constructive, impactful piece of policy that has the votes. And so what that means is that the legislative process means you have to get overlap. you got to get people from different districts to understand, uh, to see it the same way. And I still would argue that we're right of center, but you're not going to be, you're never going to see a legislative body with all the different districts and the different populations. If you have a West Valley uh, district and constituents that you represent, and you have uh, in Kane County, Mike Noel's district, those constituents just simply aren't seeing the world the same well, way. Well, they, they're totally different yeah. lives. You and know? so it's, it's, it's reasonable to understand that those lawmakers that represent those populations are not going to see the world exactly the same if they're good representatives. Mm-hmm. However, good public policy, you can find that overlap, I think, anywhere. And uh, so I would say that if my brand of politics, I would argue, is still conservative, but I think that we have... We have an appetite to make a difference and, and, and pass some tough stuff. So. I get a feeling. I get a feeling, and, and I want to. I want to go back and find uh, find out through your life how you learned to do all of this. Because mm-hmm. I get. I, I have the feeling that when you were when you were growing up, you were not as as smooth and as <laughs> because you're a very smooth politician uh, for the most part, and you know a lot and you know what to do. I want to find out how you got to that point, but. Uh, I wonder, do you think of yourself as way less conservative than I think you are? I, do you I, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I think of you as like <laughs> really conservative. You, you thought I, you thought I'd walk in here with a tinfoil hat on. I know you did, no, and it's not no, on my head. So no, no, there I've, you go. <laughs> no, I've been around you before. I know you're you're very. Uh, I mean, Greg Greg Hughes sitting here is, uh, and I, when I met you in person, I was you are extremely well coiffed. <laughs> I mean, you Thanks. you do you yeah. wear you wear very nice clothes. Uh, I I suspect tailored for you, not off the rack. That's correct. correct? That would be correct. Uh, you have a, a monogram <laughs> on the inside of your pocket. What is it? L. What is? Well, as do you I care said, to tell that a, story? L, yeah. Well, this is this is. I don't know what if there's like rules on the no a potty can, mouth. On, no, on, you can this, say so. whatever the hell so you look, please. So look, I measured. I, I mentioned to you that I was uh, born out of wedlock. I am a bastard child, mm-hmm. uh, but I like I like that. And, uh, and so I am a bastard, but I am a lucky bastard. So mm-hmm. I have LB on my, uh, inside my jacket and on some shirts I have it on my sleeves. So. Uh, you are, you are extremely, I mean, when I first met you and I, and I don't mean this in any homoerotic way, but I mean, <laughs> I think I even said to you, I think I even said to you when I first met you in person, I think it was up at the Capitol when we were doing our show up there. And I said, 
You know, I'm surprised you are you are a handsome man. I didn't Thank you, you didn't Bill. didn't Thank show you. up in the I'll take that. Uh, and when you go to your uh, website, it says Meet Greg Hughes. Yeah, and your family is there. Man, yeah, I mean, you guys are just and for some reason they've done it so that when you click on it, the picture starts floating oh, yeah? into oh, yeah? you you know it kind of goes woo and there's this handsome family your wife krista is her yeah, name krista yeah. beautiful woman uh your kids are just great cute and, and smart looking and nice what are their names so sophie's my oldest she was three bill when i ran when i was sworn in uh she was on the floor with me in 2003 she mm. was my college intern she's at uvu now and she was my intern this last session so that's cool. how long i've been there i have a 16 year old son mm-hmm. he is gregory holden hughes as well but we call him holden Gregory uh, Holden Hughes. Yep, that's he's a, a junior. Great name. Um, but he, uh, but we call him Holden. Mm. And um, my youngest is you'll love this name, Reagan. Reagan. Reagan Edmund Hughes, and he is my artist. He is. He's fourteen, and uh, he reminds me of my, my mother's passed away. She passed at fifty uh, mm. from cancer, but she was an artist through and through. Uh, not organized. Uh, our power get turned off. We get, get chased out of apartments because she didn't pay the rent. Um, but an artist and. Uh, and a, a loving a mom. Yeah, no, she was. She mm-hmm. really was. Yeah. And, uh, but she, I see so much of my youngest son and his love for art. Uh, with Does my it mother. worry you a little bit? Uh, no, because I think that uh, different than my mother, I, I hope I can help this kid. So you've, inst- he can, you've instilled conservative yeah, values. I do. I believe so. But and he's a thinker. But even if I, I just wanted to pursue art, and I think that I could help him in terms of he can pursue a passion and not worry about the lights getting turned off on him. I hope I can do that for him. But specifically, you know, what kind of art? Pa- painting? Uh, yeah. He no. He does a drawing. He has. A, he draws. He loves to draw. So he loves video games. Mm-hmm. He loves comics. Sure. So he draws in in picture frames different scenes and different characters. Oh, oh cool. And uh, and we've actually got one of the artists that comes to Comic Con uh, is a gentleman named Rob Pryor, and he is a guy. And if you go to the Comic Con, you'll hear the rock music blazing or the rap music. Mm-hmm. And he's got both his hands, and he is painting with both. He's ambidextrous, so oh he my paints God. with both. He's really? unbelievable. Went to Pittsburgh Art Institute. Where learn, your mother went. Where my mother and went. And your father And my went. father went. And so I struck up a, a conversation in relationship with him. Well, my son idolizes him, watches mm. you know his art because he does sure. a lot of that graphic art. And does it on video and, probably. And so he, he uh, was kind enough to spend some time with my son, mm. gave him some tips on how to train himself to think of it more like working out in terms of like taking muscle magazines and tracing and mm. learning how to trace the, and the muscles and things so that mm-hmm. he can draw them more accurately. Mm-hmm. And so he... That's what he draws. He likes to draw scenes and comics, and and uh, that's kind of his his uh, his his. He did, guess what? He did want to get on Pat Bagley. It is the most beautiful thing I've ever <laughs> well, seen. Pat Bagley, the, the Tribune, the Tribune editorial. So this is this is when I think he was eleven. There was a uh, there was a there was a picture of me, and it 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 painted it. it portrays me in an unkind light pat bagley yeah pat bagley does imagine that bleeding heart liberal like me yes and he had he had i think he had me as a gangster with a tommy gun and i was (laughs) mowing down the doctors you know and there's a pool of blood (laughs) because i hate medicare expansion or something so my son he he looks at this and he's like that's just rude and this has been like uh, there have been a couple this way one sure. one had me with a bunch of like freddy kruegers and and jason they can get pr- the you know, political cartoons get pretty rough and so my little 11 year old or i think yeah i think he was 11 at the time he's not he doesn't he's not steeped in the politics or the issues of the time so mm-hmm. he just sees a cartoonist that keeps picking on his dad sure, sure so he he says what does he look like so I go on Facebook and I find a picture of Pat Bagley and he's got kind of long gray hair and things. beard. Mm-hmm. He draws a picture of, of Pat Bagley with his long flowing hair in a dungeon. 
and he's got clawed feet and clawed hands, <laughs> and he's at an easel. And That's he's awesome. at an easel, and the and it's got it's got a skeleton on the wall of the dungeon, and it says GOP on the skeleton, and he's and he's got his teeth out, and he's mm-hmm. drawing on a picture, mm-hmm. and uh, it says like Greg Hughes on the picture, and it's and this thought bubbles up, and it says, "Boy, do I hate Republicans." <laughs> and I showed it to Pat. I hope you did. Yeah. I did, and uh, he he was uh, he said. How old is he? And I told him, he says, he has talent. He's, he's good. So. I think Pat would have been flattered. I would yeah. have been flattered if your son had done it. It un- was cute. Uncomplimentary <laughs> picture of me. So, you're, so Greg Hughes, rough and tumble life in Pittsburgh. I mean, uh, you know, there are stories that say you lived on the streets. I, it probably wasn't quite that bad, no. but you... But you're, but it was tough. Your mom, mom, single mom, and you. She, you can't pay the rent. You get evicted. You have to move here and there. Live yeah. with relatives. Yes. Sometimes and yep. all of that. Yep. Uh, and, uh, and can I ask? Do you know what happened to your dad? Where? So yeah. So I, I looked at later in life. I, I tried to find out. You know, because I have his name, Hughes. He mm-hmm. was his name is Patrick Hughes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't know any. I don't know a Hughes other than the, my own family, the yeah. ones that you know. I'm, that you could help create yeah, yeah. help create so uh so i wanted to, i i was in my i think i was in my early late 20s early 30s i just wanted to see if i could find him uh, it turned out he, he passed away at the age of 43 uh, and he had a checkered past he was uh you know you can't get a good uh, calf out of a bad bull maybe that's my problem too he was a, a bit of a uh um a troublemaker himself and mm-hmm. so uh but his death certificate in terms of cause of death at the age of 43 said uh, under investigation I don't think mm. I've ever said that publicly or confessed that to mm. anyone, but you asked. It's like a truth or dare mm. without the dare. Yeah. If you ask me, I'll tell you. But, uh, but yeah, I didn't. I never got to meet him. But I've seen. I've had pictures of my mother and he. So, when I was so you little. know what he looked like? Do so you I know, look like yeah. him? So my mother has brown eyes. I have blue eyes. Uh, he had dimples. I mm. I have them. Mm-hmm. There's facial features that are it's similar. Weird, isn't it? You know, I I never knew my father really. I, yeah. My uh, my parents divorced when I was really young, and then my mother remarried, and and I, all I knew was that he had moved to California, remarried, and had tons of children with yeah. another. But I I saw pictures. So you have of him. siblings. That have siblings. Yeah, that which which I didn't ever I didn't meet until recently. Yeah. Uh, uh, and that well, that's a whole story. But uh, so but I have. It's I weird think, to look at yeah. a picture of my dad, my biological father, and go, oh shit, that's what I look like. <laughs> I you know, know, I know. I jeez, and I never I, really I didn't I, remember the. Guy. I, I've had that same emotion, and and I, my mother told me as she was, she kind of. As she was passing away, she kind of gave me a little bit more insight uh, into my life or my father. She didn't want me to know who my father was because he was a bit of a troublemaker. Mm-hmm. She didn't want it to be a self-esteem issue. I don't know what. So, but as she was passing, she gave me some more information, and um, he had uh, got a different student pregnant before my mother. Oh, uh, so there's a there's another kid running around there mm-hmm. uh, that uh, so is related to you in he, some way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Father, same father, but yeah. don't know who that is. But yeah. hey, this you're like Oprah here. I'm like pouring out the whole the gory details of the life here. I don't but know what's you know, going it, on. I think it. Uh, I so it's just interesting to me that you go through all of this. And did your mom stick with the church yeah, to the end? Yeah, she, she was. Did. She, she got found more, some comfort. She got, in, oh yeah, it yeah. became uh, an anchor for her. Uh, Longer in you know, in life, it, it, it stronger and stronger became a, a force. But for you didn't help. you didn't join the church then, did you? So I did. Well, my, my, my mother was baptized. I went through the primary route and and mm, you know okay. primary and went through all did it all. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, really, uh, when I was a teenager, uh, didn't know a whole lot of Mormons. Uh, but there were some. You know, when you have a, a, a ward in Southwest Pennsylvania. Your ward boundaries like Southwest Pennsylvania. Right. It's it's a pretty big, big. area. It's it's huge. And so. 
you'd have kids from different schools that would be that would be there. So you'd see them on Sunday, but you don't really see them at your school. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I I uh, fell in love as a young man in my uh, junior and senior year with a good LDS girl, and her parents said. You know, she's only going to ever marry a return missionary. And I said, well, that's a wild coincidence because that's exactly what I was going to do. And uh, I, I said uh, I, I said on the spot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, and so I, I have I now subscribe to the theory that I don't care why you go as long as you kind of figure out why you're there. So I did. I went on a mission. I went to Australia and Papua New Guinea was part of that mission. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I grew up there in terms of responsibility. Mormon missions can do that to a lot of kids. Some some of them it's hard for them, but some kids they say, "I really found my way. I've become became an adult." You know what? I was a little bit of a a clown, uh, you know. I can't imagine that. And then when I go to this MTC, uh, for those listeners that may not know, within the LDS faith uh, and in the Book of Mormon, uh, you have Christ that visits the the Nephites, and that's kind of. That was all news to me in this MTC. I'm raising my hand saying, wait a minute, hold on. So back up here. You're saying like Jerusalem, Jesus, America? Mm-hmm. Are, you, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. And everybody's looking at me like the clown saying, is, is he being serious or is he? But it was a genuine question. I had no idea. Uh, so I learned. I, I learned an incredible amount in that time. And look, I, I think to your question of where did I, be, where communication skills or growing up or maturing, I think a lot of that. Falls on your shoulders when you go there, especially in the Papua New Guinea, where we were kind of the leadership of. We're in a third world country. It's a branch. You are taking your jeep, your van around, and picking up people mm-hmm. for church in the settlements. And you're. Did you see? Did you see uh, the Book of Mormon musical? I have not seen it. I haven't seen. You it. You probably should avoid it, but yeah. <laughs> but it's it's missionaries in yeah. in a third world country yeah. in Africa, and, you know. So I, I I think that that was a that was a uh, an important part of uh, of my upbringing. So uh, and it, but now when you so you you uh, met, met your wife in in Pencil, she's a Pennsylvania girl. So no, I ended up not marrying that girl. You uh. know that uh, so, but that was uh, but no, I met my wife uh, Christus from American Fork, okay. American Fark, and. Uh, She's an AF chick, and uh, no, we we met in Provo and uh, weren't dating right away. I just knew her, and then ultimately we uh, we got married. Yeah. Uh, so so, you, but when you came to Utah, there are stories about you uh, kind of being a rough and tumble guy and unpolished when you first got here. Yes, yeah, that would be the case. I uh, mean, uh, kind of a you know you you, you had an int- did, what you so did you go where did you go to school? To, for- so I went to UVSC. Um, UVCC when I started there, then it became a state college. And, um, and you know, I, I wasn't taking academics very seriously uh, in high school. I was lucky to graduate, and uh, I, was, I was banned from my – sh- look at me. I'm telling stuff I shouldn't be telling. Just, like, this is just us, right? No one's listening. No, no, uh, no. I was banned from my commencement because I was such a troublemaker. They wouldn't let me, they wouldn't let me do it. Um, but, uh, but anyway – I, I figured I didn't want to be a loser in life. I got to, like, get an education. I got to get serious. And so after the mission, I, I went to UVSC and, and started getting better grades, started taking it more seriously. But Found, found something you were interested in. What, did, you, did you go poli-sci? I, I, I started out that way, but I was working political. I had worked on the – in 88, before I went on my mission, I, I fell into a great opportunity. I had a friend whose mother was working the state uh, – then uh, Vice President Bush, uh, Herbert, or George Herbert Walker Bush, mm-hmm. his his uh, campaign for presidency. Pennsylvania was a target targeted state. It's a Always big, is, big state. Like, yeah. yeah. And so I was able to in that time after I graduated from high school and then I put my mission papers in. I wasn't going to leave till February of 89. So I had this this summer and fall 
And I, I worked on that presidential campaign, the Bush Quail 88 campaign. 18, 19 years yeah, old. 18, mm-hmm. 18 turning 19 in that time. And, uh, and that's where I actually the seeds of public policy and, and politics really set in because- You really liked it. Well, I would, I would stay in the office, and this wasn't a storefront office. This was the state office, but they had filing cabinets because there weren't any computers of all the position papers in alphabetical order. So out of curiosity, I just started opening the, the filing cabinet mm-hmm. drawers and reading them and comparing what their positions were versus what, how I saw life. And I just started to, I, I, I don't know, I, I started to have an interest in in, uh, in policy as well as campaigns. And, and particularly in Republican yeah, policy. Yeah. And you indoctrinated yourself by reading the file cabinet. Well, you know what's so funny? Being a Republican where I grew up, that was being the rebel. You, know, yeah, you understand? Sure. My Uncle Denny, he was a, life, was a lifelong uh, union uh, member. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the people I knew in life were either a Democrat or didn't care. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know very many Republicans, but I from a, from afar I'm looking at Republicans and I'm going, well, they seem to like be successful in life and they mm-hmm. have businesses and they. I think I'd like things like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I was a bellhop at the Sheraton and anyway, I I just I just got to observe life in different forms and I thought. I don't know. I mean, the unions were leaving my family high and dry. My, I had fa- family that, that worked in the mill, and U.S. Steel was laying off people yeah. everywhere. And you had, when I was at the, a bellhop at the Sheraton, I can remember a guy named Dom. He had spent his whole life uh, working in the mill, gets laid off, and he's making a fraction of what he used to make. And he's an angry, angry, upset person. And he was mean. And, he was, and I just I looked at all that, and I just thought, I don't see where that's working. For, th- for people and so do you, th- do you think the seeds that's the seeds of how, why donald trump might have won the election that's even back that far that's where those seeds are absolutely those, that those disgruntled hundred one hundred percent so to go back to the description of my cousin running that that beer outlet he told me back and it was a, it was a year ago back when um uh Utah was going to be relevant in terms of, a, of, of our caucuses and, and the candidates that were still running for president. So back then you had Kasich and you had uh, Cruz and you had uh, Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trump and had Rubio. Just, well, Rubio had just lost in the Super Tuesday mm-hmm. in Florida. So he had just dropped out. So those were the last three that were left and they were all coming to Utah. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to my cousin saying they're all trying to get the governor and they're trying to call me and they want endorsements. And my cousin Matt had been telling me this, but he said, I will tell you this. I have soccer moms come in here for beer. I have businessmen come in here. I have union members. I have truckers. I have everyone. Far and away, it's Trump. They say if it's not Trump, they're going with Hillary. But it's Trump. If, mm-hmm. if Trump's on the ballot, they're going with Trump. If it's mm-hmm. not Trump, they're going to go with Hillary Clinton. And he was. And so that was, look, that's like a focus group. But I, I found that to be valuable to know. And so I think, you know, and I started to read that AFL-CIO started to be surprised that a lot of their membership were looking at a guy like Trump saying, I think this is a blue-collar billionaire type that would look out for the little guy. And there was that kind of, you know, we, we our, our Utah census can be offended by Donald Trump. I certainly acknowledge that. But there's an authenticity to that, you know, where you have the other side of the pendulum, someone focus grouping the color of their tie and saying nothing to offend no one and having someone that's just going to well, lay it out. Yeah, he certainly is off the cuff and yeah. lays it out so I'm to telling his you, detriment, I, I think. Yeah, I do too. I think that there's a more artful way to do it. But again, I think it shows that he's not a polished politician. I mean, I, and I think some people say, hey, I'll take a guy rough around the edges uh, versus someone who's just squeaky, 
clean. And yeah, you know, I'd have, I would have the wrong. tendency to, I would agree with you. Yeah. Uh, the people that are focus group to the, to the nth degree and they, they are afraid to say anything outside of a certain boundary. I, I agree with you. I just, uh, I just, I think that this guy who is doing what the, the style that you like yeah. is not doing the right message. Right. It's, it's, it, not, it's it, not how he's saying it, it's what he's saying. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you what, I think that um, it, it certainly wouldn't be the way I would say say i think i'd like i i think i am blunt or i try to be but brutal honesty at least in utah is not a virtue the brutal part is not Mm -hmm. and there's a difference you can you can be i think very candid i think you can be very uh you know even blunt but you gotta you gotta remain you gotta have some amount of decorum and i think that because he's never done that before and really you don't become a billionaire being a church mouse and hiding in a corner somewhere. No, right. you get just, bar- born into a family yeah. where your dad made all the money. Yeah, That's so I just think it. he, I, I, well, yeah, that'd hey, be good. Let me ask you one other question about uh, personal stuff, and then we'll talk more politics. I, and I, it's fine with me jumping around like this. Yeah, I like it. I'm good if you are. Um, uh, boxing. I yeah. know you have a love of boxing. I do. Where where did that start? Did you box? Your, you also boxed? For yeah, so I was never good at it. I'll just lead with that. Um but I, uh, I, so again, I'm going to tell details of my story. They're going to come back in opposition research mm-hmm. files somewhere. <laughs> I know it. Um, when you're running for yeah, president. Yeah, exactly. This is, I don't <laughs> even know why I'm saying it, but I, I this is me that doesn't <laughs> care, I guess. Um, so my mother worked. So I, and especially in the summertime, I, I was largely unsupervised as a young kid. So one, one random summer day, my, my mother decides to come home. Uh, and we lived in a, a townhouse and, she sees my bike with some other bikes, BMX bikes or whatever, that, by the woods. And she thinks to herself, ah, I don't know if that's a good sign. So my mother in her heels starts walking back to see where her son is. And there I am at a, I don't know, I might have been fifth grade or something. And I'm, I got a cigarette hanging out of my mouth. And she looks at me and, you know, I got kids that are older than that now. So I just, I mean, at the time, you know, I didn't get it, but I do now. She didn't get mad. She just started to sob just started to cry mm. and that was worse than any beating if she had come and grabbed me by my hair and just beat me literally back to the house mm-hmm. i would not have been as upset as just seeing her just devastated by what she Broke saw her heart yeah and so she uh realized that i needed a little more, more supervision and so i went to this place uh where you send young men that need more supervision uh, bad during, kids. They, That's <laughs> during the bad kids during go. the summertime and they try yeah. to organize little activities for you and stuff mm-hmm. my first day i get into three fights and uh and i'm i will tell you i swear as an was adult it, I, it was not my fault <laughs> i was literally picked on <laughs> from the moment gonna, yeah. yeah you sure should, the moment i, I walked didn't in start there those fights. i didn't start a single one of them no. i was picked on from the day i got there. so <laughs> by the end of the third fight it was the end of the day they had a gym and they had a loft area that had a boxing uh, area and they said we're going to send you up there and these guys come in a little later in the afternoon but they come in you're going to start spending your time with them mm. and uh, in hindsight as a as an adult and as a father i i know what the draw was and that was having a strong strong male role model people that are going to not put up with your 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 garbage they're mm. going to tell you what to do boxing is not a sport you can just pick up there's no mid midnight yeah. like basketball league and for boxing i mean you just can't just walk in a ring and be able to do it it, it takes conditioning it takes all kinds of different I've, things. i tried to do it a little bit once and it's oh. it's it's incredibly hard it's still hard even when you're trying to do it for fitness it's it's hard to breathe mm-hmm. that's why you know yeah. so uh but i i took to it and i took to it i think because i like the the combative nature to it but I, I like these these men tell me you know you need to do these things and you need to mm-hmm. you know anyway so 
I did. I boxed. Um, was never really. I I did it like I do politics. I lead with my chin. Mm. You know, no defense. Just kind of walk straight in. Like and, Gene uh, Fulmer used to do. <laughs> exactly. I never. Got, I used to watch. I saw Gene Fulmer fight. You know, on TV wow. and stuff. And he would. He would just literally walk toward the guy with his. He didn't try to guard no. his face at no. all, which is why he looked the way he did. Yeah, he it, would just walk in with his he, arms up like this and and let people pound on him, and then he'd knock him out. So Sugar Ray Robinson, most boxing fans will tell you, and will and historians will tell you that Sugar Ray Robinson is the best pound for pound boxer there's ever been. Uh, he and Gene Fulmer fought four times, and uh, Gene Gene won two, uh, lost one, and they drew. So four out of four fights, Gene won one, tied one, and lost one mm-hmm. against uh, Sugar Ray Robinson, Pretty which good. is something to say. But this is why. <laughs> Gene Robinson, it's like fish in a barrel. He's hitting him a hundred times, yeah. but the man kept moving forward, and he would never stop throwing because he's such a tough you know, farm boy. He, he w- I might have seen one of those fights. His yeah. face was a bloody mess. Yeah, he did, and he didn't care. He nope. just kept coming. And it's so funny because if you go to the former gym today, if someone starts moving around and they're trying to be slick – you know, the former fan was like, quit wasting your energy moving. Stay still. Just fight. Yeah. <laughs> so somebody asked me to ask you then on this, and then we'll move off of this. Okay. We'll go into politics more. Who was your favorite boxer? Oh, my favorite boxer. I, You know, I really liked uh, Ray Boom Boom Mancini. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was from Youngstown, Ohio, uh, kind of a, you know, that's very close to Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. The, there was a fight where the person he fought died and it's kind of, kind of oh, marred remember, his, yeah. his career a little bit. It was a sad, I actually watched that fight. It was like on ABC sports and yeah. I, I watched that fight. Uh, but I liked, it was kind of like a, a local, local kid gone good. Yeah. I actually like Jerry Cooney too. He lost the fight against Jerry, uh, Larry Holmes, but I love Jerry Cooney. I loved uh, I just I thought he was a great uh, a great heavyweight. And then the person who asked me to ask you this said, "Then ask uh, uh, Mr. Hughes," and he said, "There's only one answer to this question: Who is the greatest boxer of all time?" There is only one. It's it's uh, it's it's Floyd Mayweather Jr. Really? Yeah, it is. He is. He's fifty and zero, yes. and uh, there's no other fighter that's ever done it. And mm-hmm. he's doing it in a way where if you're not a fight fan, you think he's riding a bicycle in the ring, um, but he doesn't get touched. He's 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 mm-hmm. moves. He doesn't. Fight. Yeah. He will he will be articulate, I believe, and and he won't be punchy like many mm-hmm. champions you'll meet later in life. If you if you were to, I've been to, I've been fortunate enough to, and I love the Fulmer family, and I love, but I didn't watch them, so I didn't live through those years where yeah. they were fighters. But I have immense respect for the Fulmer family and for the all three brothers, not just uh, oh, Gene, right. but Don and Jay. Mm-hmm. All they're uh, at the World Boxing Hall of Fame in Canastota, uh, New York. The Madison Square Garden donated the ring they used from the beginning, dawn of time, to like 87. And there hasn't been three siblings that fought more in that ring than the former brothers. And so they all had great pro careers. But um, but when, when I've gone back there and I've met even Tommy Hearns or I've met some of the legendary boxers. The hitman. They're a little vacant. There's a little bit of a punchiness I, I to I like them. the term for it. It's they, they're on Queer Street. Yeah. They yeah. say when you get that punchy quality, you know. Yeah, just, and it's sad to see, street. but it's almost without exception. But mm-hmm. I think that you'll see. I think uh, Sugar Ray Leonard doesn't have that right now. And uh, and I think you'll see that a guy like Floyd Mayweather, uh, 
is, will not be punchy when he gets you know, older. And is see, that I, the right answer? I don't that, know. No. I don't know. The answer I would have given would have, would have been Muhammad Ali. But yeah, no, I love Muhammad Ali. In fact, I've got a, my robe is a Muhammad Ali like a boxing robe. <laughs> no, the one yeah. you wear when yeah, you get out of my the house. Shower. Yeah, it is. It has a hood on it and everything. It's I have a Muhammad Ali wear that bo- bathrobe. Greg Hughes. Yeah. I I knew you love boxing, but you do you love it legitimately. You know it, and uh, are you? And it's kind of sad the the state of boxing right now. It's not doing very well, is no, it? No. Well, it's, do, do you, you know, follow the, the, the UFC big, or do you like that crap? I or? do. I I'm, I'm okay with it, but I, I I honestly believe boxing is a sweet science. I I've been I I respect. UFC fighters. I mean, it's it's an incredible uh, skill set and endurance and all of those things. But rolling around on the ground and on all the other stuff going on, I just I just love boxing. I really do. Um, you know, I think that the prize fights are still. Re- I mean, no one's making anywhere close uh, to what the big prize fights mm-hmm, make. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, like I said, Floyd, Floyd Mayweather. I think he's made a billion dollars in 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 his fights that he's cumulatively. Well, he had to. He's had. Too many wives and too many lawsuits. Goodness, and I'll tell you, but hey, that ain't unique <laughs> to him. I don't many. know if you noticed. Yeah. A lot of them are like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the combat sports, these are not like the captains of industry that are, you no. know, the best at combat sports. So, mm-hmm. but, um, but I, I'll tell you, I have, uh, I used to sponsor a, a professional boxer and it was a lot of fun, but uh, as the legislature and its demands grew, I couldn't keep doing it. And, but now, uh, as I'm looking at not doing that, I'm sponsoring a young new boxer. He just had his pro de- pro debut yeah. uh, at the complex, was, which was just just west of uh, the Gateway. Mm-hmm. Brandon Douglas, and uh, he uh, he won. And 35, he's 127 pounds, grown man, 127 pounds, mm. knocked the kid out. Is in that the first a featherweight? Round. Yeah. Yeah. Featherweight, yep. yeah, yeah, and uh, you don't see that very often in featherweight fights where someone gets put to sleep. But no. he, he's good. He's a strong I love the puncher. Term. I love boxing terms. Let's talk a little bit before we get into politics about yeah. talked about you going to college. Yeah, and what happened between college and when you and your career up till now? Yeah, how did you be? Again, uh, I you, we still don't know how you really became the the really slick politician that you are. Well, oh, I, I so you to say, but, so I went to I went to UV, yeah UV. I was there. So when I came to Utah, I had made friends in the Bush Quail '88 presidential campaign, and uh, and so I stayed in touch. In fact, one of my immediate bosses was a guy named Tom Corbett, who ultimately became Pennsylvania's Attorney General and then was a, a governor of yeah. Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm, I remember. And uh, and so he was someone that when I was on my mission, I w- and I was up in Papua New Guinea, I'd send these wooden war masks that they would carve in the village and I'd send them and so we stayed in touch for a while mm-hmm. but uh, when I got back I wanted to stay involved and uh, and so got involved I think in the college Republicans or young Republicans but met Enid Green and this was the this is why she was still Enid Green yes mm-hmm. and so uh, I went on my mission from 89 to 91 91 I got to Pittsburgh all my buddies are going to bars and you know as soon as you turn 21 that is a rite of passage in Pittsburgh and mm-hmm. So I kind of felt like a little fi- bit of a fish out of water. So I headed west. I came here to Utah, and uh, but wanted to stay involved in in politics, like I had experienced before I had left. And so I uh, I got connected to uh, Enid Green. She was the Somebody national. Somebody told me you you had a you slept in her basement for a while. Yeah, or? yeah. So <laughs> so I uh, so it was our campaign team. We were just a band of you know a raggedy band of uh, mm-hmm. campaign workers just working out of a basement trying to mm-hmm. trying to win a race. But. Uh, they got one of the gentlemen I worked for in the '88 presidential campaign was a guy named Joe Waldholtz. Oh my! And so I knew, kept in touch with him through the mission. But he said when I had uh, got back to in America, you know, the '92 race re-election for the president will be coming up. We hope you're coming back to Pittsburgh. 
but in the meantime, you ought to meet this woman named Enid Green. She's a she's the national chairwoman of the Young Republicans, and she is the I think she still was the deputy chief of staff for Governor Norm Bangader. She was quite a she was a fiery thing oh, too. Oh, big time. Yeah, yeah and was. so I, I I would honestly tell you that uh, so I met her. I went to a college Republican uh, function. It was either in you. It was in Utah County. I can't remember if it was UVSC or if it was BYU. But I went with her. She was single, and I kind of went not as her date, but with her to mm-hmm. the event. Mm-hmm. And she got up and gave just a rousing speech. And this is back yeah. when uh, you know you had the remember the check kiting when the the members of the of Congress had their own bank. And yeah. they kept writing checks that didn't have any money oh, yeah, in it yeah. and mm-hmm. all the stuff that was going on. And mm-hmm. Democrats had controlled the uh, U.S. Congress for forty years up to that point. So she was just talking about changing that and, and just anyway, I listened to the speech and it, I was hooked. I thought she'd be a, a phenomenal member of Congress and didn't wa- actually didn't even want to go back to the reelect in Pennsylvania, wanted to help in that campaign. So I was just a, a grunt. I, I was putting signs up. I was mm-hmm. a sign guy. I was taking her to meet delegates, you know, throughout every day and yeah. all, all that. So where did I learn maybe how to articulate positions and how did I learn how to absorb information and share it back observing Enid uh, was was really my training wheels for me Mm -hmm. I mean I really learned so much from her she was very good and you know it's very articulate it was a you know I I, again I'm not a a, 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 I was not in line with her a lot of her policies and things that she but I thought it was really sad it was uh, that and I'd forgotten that uh, Joe Waldholz who she married was from Pennsylvania, that's, from and, Pittsburgh. I, and that's who I worked for. Yeah, and he uh, he turned out to be kind of a the, he was a he was scumbag. a fake. I, I got to just tell you, he it was awful. He ruined her career in yeah, politics. Absolutely, one hundred percent did. She would could have stayed in Congress. But. The 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 genesis of that is that Joe, if you ever met him, he was a you know heavy set guy. Mm-hmm. I I think he he just he he's a bit of a con in that he described himself and his life and his affluence in ways that were just simply false. And so he kind of lived a charade of who he was. And I think it was anyway. So that ultimately caught up to him because he was just he spent a lot of time manipulating uh, people. And is he still in jail or is he don't know? Um, he I, 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 I lost track of, of him. He, his story is, is a crazy one. He, even his defense attorney. Uh, he ended up stealing her credit cards. And yeah, I mean, uh, he was embezzling money from his family trust. Yeah, and oh, it's, it's man, just it's just he, what a, was a character. who you played in that. Yeah, I play. Uh, I might have a picture to show you in a minute. I, I so uh, one year Saturday's voyeur. You, yeah. you know what that yep, is. I do. And it was when Enid was ha- had had her troubles with Joe, and they uh, they called me. They wanted some local radio people and other celebrities to uh, do a little opening number as Enid Green, and it was <laughs> a, a pregnant Enid Green, and it singing singing along, mouthing, uh, lip syncing to "I'm So Sexy." And dancing with these boys in shorts with American flags. And it was uh, Enid Green pregnant and singing, I'm so sexy for my Joe, so yeah. sexy for my Joe. It's before yeah. they, It's before yeah. the big scandal hit. She was she was pregnant at the yeah. time. Yep. Uh, ended up, you know, I mean, even though Joe was a scumbag, she ended up with a lovely daughter. And, yes, absolutely. You know, but, but it was a real... So anyway, I but played I tell you one and dancing. One, just let me finish yeah. it. Yeah. So other people... I was supposed to do it once. Yes. And it only just the opening number, and then I was out of costume and go home. And but I was... Star was born. I was supposed to do it one time, 
And uh, then they were going to have like Rocky Anderson do it and all these other people. Everybody else chickened out. <laughs> Nobody else would do it. I think after they saw me do it and they said, that's really, how, in drag, you want me to do that? And I and they said, Bill, would you do it every uh, night? And I went, yeah, sure, I don't care. That is <laughs> so, something else. I yeah. love that. You know, I the rough edges were still rough. I'd argue actually that even as a, a freshman lawmaker in my in my beginning uh, years of, of public service, I probably was still a little too rough around how the edges. How long ago was that you were elected to, for the first uh, 2002. time? 2002. So... But back in that, remember the marathon uh, press conference that Enid had? It was live on oh, CNN. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was there, and um, I was very defensive of her. And I, I felt that I thought that I had enough of a front row seat to because I knew Joe before she did, and you know, back in '88. Mm-hmm. And I felt that she had as as well as many other people been truly and legitimately conned. I don't. I didn't think she was part of any conspiracy. It, it was kind of hard to believe at first, but then I think, especially in that press conference, and then afterwards, I didn't ever meet Enid until for until a long time after this. And uh, I was on a Van Oker group with yeah. her one time, yeah. and she's just a just a sweet and she lovely. Is. And I could. I thought. Yep, she got conned. She did. She well, you know, gullible. she was in a, an age of her life. She wanted mm-hmm. have be married. She sure. wa- always wanted to have children. And you know, spe- but here's the thing: in that press conference, I'm suffering with her. She's so upset, and this, you know, her mm-hmm. her most personal tragedies, anyone's most personal tragedies of a, a marriage ending and and really ending in a, a really bad way, not knowing the person that you've been married to, yeah. playing out on live TV across the country on on C-SPAN and on CNN. Um, I was just really upset for her, and I was upset. Well, there was this AP reporter uh, that uh, just kept asking really, like, digging questions and suggesting that her father, who is a saint, Forrest, um, uh, might have been a criminal in that he would he should have known or could have known better and was really pr- actively participating in a criminal endeavor. Mm-hmm. And she would ask him, don't describe my father that way. He was He just loved his daughter, and he kept digging. And so I had finally had it. So I just, again, I guess this isn't, I can swear. I got up and I just said, you better quit baiting her, you prick. And I went to grab, they had pictures of water on these long tables Li- from these on, people. On li- live yes. feed on CNN. So my grandma Maxine's back in Pittsburgh and she can hear her grandson's <laughs> voice using the word prick. And so then she was upset with me. And uh, so I uh, I still had, uh, I still had a, maybe a... You had some rough edges then. I did. You I would did. never do that today. I would never no. do that today. Is it true that you, somebody said you tackled Cody Jr.? Yeah, yeah. I was in the pileup. <laughs> I mean, there's not just me in there, but... But I, uh, yeah, yeah I gotta, you've got you've had a great life. Yeah, Cody yeah. Judy, the story of people don't remember he uh, was at a fireside. Yeah, it was at, a, it was at BYU. It was at the Marriott mm-hmm. Center. It was uh, you know where they play basketball and uh, packed house of students. Howard Hunter yeah. that was the was the president he of the was church. Speaking, yep, he was and he was uh, he ran up to him and not my mind's eye. I thought it was a gun. I didn't think it was a cell phone, one of those brick phones with mm-hmm. electrical tape. Yeah. I thought it was a gun. I truly thought he had a gun, and. He, the whole place starts breaking out into into hymns, yeah. and I'm like, "Are you kidding me? Hymns? I mean, there's everyone just starts singing because they're trying what? to drown out his voice. They're singing hymns. He's up there yelling and at I'm, Howard Hunter. Yeah, and he's yelling. People are singing, and I'm and I'm getting upset. And I saw two, I saw some students jump down from behind the podium, uh, from the back, and rush him. And then that's when I I ran, and we kind of they pulled him off the off of the podium, and we all kind of met in this pile, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and it turned out he didn't have a real ball. No, anything, it wasn't. I broke my hand. I got a plate in my hand over that right hmm. there. Yeah, I, I hit the concrete with my fist. I meant. You ever see Cody Judy after that? No. After I he ha- got I, out of jail, I, I, I did. Have never seen. Yeah. He came, he started to come around. He got out of jail. Yeah. 
and he started to come around the radio station for a while for some reason uh, i forget what he and he was very pleasant and so it i mean nice. you got to be crazy i would guess if you're doing something like so that maybe but he did was he, did he pull it in i mean was he normal he seemed no, no. he didn't <laughs> seem normal but he didn't seem dangerous yeah you know yeah. he just seemed like and I forget what it is he thought he wanted, or I don't know. Yeah. Uh, he wanted somebody to tell his story to, or yeah. uh, on the radio, we, and we didn't ever do it. But okay, let's talk about politics um, and what and your career in the Utah State Legislature. Yeah. Uh, you uh, started out kind of rough, as you said, but you've become known as a as a guy who knows how to get the stuff done that needs to get done. Um, and some of the things that you've done, I would really applaud. And I was reading back through your career that you were working on um, uh, Purple Heart Tuition Waiver for yep. Veterans. Yep, that's right. Uh, and that that happened? Scott B. Lundell Purple Heart Tuition Waiver Act. For those that, um, that are wounded in action, but then if they're killed in action and receive the Purple Heart, uh, their their dependents uh, will receive free college education and a state institution of higher learning. Very, You know, that was a, an important bill. We also made the veterans division uh, that 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 strangely was in, in the uh, National Guard which was not a, a good fit we made it a cabinet level position mm. and so then the, the the head of the divi- of Veterans Affairs was a, a, meet, a immediate report to the governor which I think was important especially mm-hmm. as we had in those Gulf War years and you know younger generations of veterans that were coming back in to Utah so yeah, those are uh, veterans is an area that I care a whole lot and, about. And then uh, veterans is it? Vet, you got some new veterans nursing homes. That's right. Stuff got that was right. money. You rounded up money to get those done. We have three of them. We had zero. We didn't have. We had one in Salt Lake, but we needed so many more, and we ended up getting three from the mm-hmm. work that we did. It took us a, a couple of years, but we 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 ended up getting you, it done. Do you know a lot about the VA hospital up here? I I understand that this V. You know there there have been troubles, yes. uh, problems with VA hospitals around the country and the v- veterans administration in general but everybody i've ever talked to said this is uh, one up here is just yeah, solid a great a model it's a great it's I a w- great place i would say the same I, I would say though that the only challenge that va hospitals have is you, your doctors and people that work at, at, at va hospitals they're done at four you know they're gonna they're gonna let you stay overnight if you if you have to because they're they're you know the shift is over mm-hmm. i think other hospitals are looking at the costs of someone staying overnight versus working a little longer to get the procedure done and so I, I just think that there it's a it's a little more arduous our VA system and I think that's why you see other states that have had problems with it mm-hmm. but I'm very proud of our VA hospital mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. in Utah for sure let's talk a little bit about UTA yes you've had a kind of a storied career huh. with the UTA uh, you were on the board were you the chair of the board I was so I served I served for eight years on that uh, on the board and I was uh, chair for Three or four years. Mm-hmm. Um, there was some uh, there was some scandal around some of the things with the UTA yeah. and the Terry Deal, and you had some some dealings with Terry Deal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, he was a, he's a developer. Um, got contracts with UTA to build various developments yeah. around UTA st- uh, stations and things like that. Uh, you knew terry you had some business dealings with terry as well i have i met him on the board but then we've we've done business and you know i i consider terry a friend and you know there's always two sides of a coin um sometimes i look at the landscape in politics and there's selective outrage or that we apply selectively some of the things that we are concerned about versus in other circumstances and i you know i think that for terry serving on uta's board there was a provision to recuse yourself. Uh, there's examples of this that happen all the time. If you're a city council member and you own a restaurant and you want a liquor license 
and you're sitting on the city council mm -hmm. and your daughter or son were to come into that public hearing and say, I'm here to ask this council's consideration for a liquor license, what that council member who owns that restaurant would do is they would publicly disclose, I own this this restaurant and I'm going to get up and I'm going to walk out and I'm going to recuse myself from the deliberation. Mm -hmm. Those types of, so that happens uh, frequently because again, think about who we're asking to serve. They're going to have other lives. Business I mean, there's just, people. Yeah. yeah, because it, being a, a member, being a city council member or a state legislator or even a board member at UTA, it's not a full-time gig and you don't pay all your bills. You have some other areas in, in, of life and er, other areas of expertise. So you have ways that you can get yourself out of those situations so that the deliberation and the decisions can be made and that you're not tainting it or influencing it. So UTA had those provisions, disclosure, recusal. Terry Deal went through those processes, but it still sat wrong with people that even after disclosing those things and recusing himself, that he, got he, the deal. he was still involved. And deal that's still, yeah, and it still rubbed people the wrong way. So UTA, at, after that, and looking at perception being reality, then just clean out, just flat out banned uh, any board member from having anything to do whatsoever probably a good idea yeah yeah and you know but, but i would argue that there was no scandal we had a situation that that is similar to other legislative bodies or other you know political subdivisions people didn't like how that rolled out there were decisions made to Fix. to change that Fix. and and so i i think that happens um i don't know so i but yeah i've lived through all that it was a stick to beat myself with i mean i <laughs> i think it's interesting I, though that you you know you kind of came out of all of that that could have been really bad for you well i'll tell you what and it, and, and you came out of it f fine it, uh, and well thank you i i you never know yourself but i'll tell you why i think i i am just who i am and i'll it's it's the same answer i just gave you i'm not gonna run i'm not going to if people want to say mean things, try to get away from it so it doesn't splash on me. I'm going to give you my take, mm -hmm. and I'm going to give you my thought process behind what we do and how we do it. To the extent people like it, don't like it, agree or disagree, it's going to be what it is. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, one of the challenges that UTA has suffered that, again, is a, is a practice and policy that I still stand by today, is if you know you want to put, let's say, the, the rail we put a 130 miles bill of fixed rail between the commuter rail and the light rail in along the Wasatch Front in less than 10 years. You, you will not find any state, any metropolitan area in this country that's even got close to doing something of that magnitude. And successfully, it was under budget, it was ahead of schedule. But if you have to do that, think about the corridor of the, the, of rail, where it's going to go, how many counties, how many cities it's going to go through. It's a lot of, lot of overlap. UTA doesn't have any land condemnation authority whatsoever. So what UTA had to do is they had to go to every city and say, we need to create interlocal agreements. Now, I don't want to get too wonkish, <laughs> but we have to agree on this corridor coming through and stations being sat. And, and, and in a state like Utah, where no one really was used to mass transit, everyone thought property values down, crime up. I mean, everybody has these. I remember those fears. Yeah. yeah. And, and and as we've seen uh, it all play out, we don't see that. We actually see, and you'll see in other areas where you're close to stations, actually property values Well, I think there were, there were smarter people like Terry Deal. And yeah, others who I'm said, telling you, that helped who get said no, this is going to be good. It will be good. So, so this is what, this is the key though. If I have to get all these different city councils, mayors, uh, land use decision makers, policy makers to agree, mm -hmm. you can put a PowerPoint together and you can show stats and you can show pictures, but I will tell you that there is no, no better teacher than being on the ground and seeing best practices. So if you took 
members of a council that you'd say, hey, we'd like you to consider a station and we'd like you to consider the rail coming through your town, you take them to Portland and you show them how successful it is. You show them what can be built around those areas that make sense. You take them to Denver. You take them to even... Switzerland. Uh, uh, well, yeah, for mountain transportation. If someone could show me where or how we can show mountain transportation that isn't in that joint, I'll do it. But, mm -hmm. but if you show people, I have watched with... I, it's happened for me, but I've watched. And it's not just... It's not even just for transit. I'm saying if I go to southern Utah with legislators and I talk to the school districts down there and they say, if you brought me three employers that hired four people each, you would erase my student decline over the last eight years with those three jobs, with those three. I mean, we don't understand the economies of scale in rural Utah, but when you're down there talking to the people, you the, the empathy grows. You get it. So I never apologized for trips that showed policymakers what best practices looked like or what the potential for Utah could be and should be. And even with even with Switzerland, we took people that were so anti-mass transit some from Utah County, people that thought, you know, this was an over-socialized social, over-subsidized social service. It's evil. It's just transit's just evil. And you take them and you show that cog rail that can take you from an airport to a to a ski resort. Uh, your, your luggage goes in a luggage a car it's taken to the i mean when they saw it they came back and said i think there's some smart ideas here and so i, I just I, I will i will go to my grave saying if you want policymakers to make good decisions you got to show them best practices now it's funny to me we got the, the governor has uh his trade missions and <laughs> all I, the time i look on the front page they're in jordan they're in China, israel yeah. and everyone says and then the headline says utah is open for business that's that's not a junket that's just good policy making mm -hmm. and making sure that we're competitive in the global market i think your uta goes and we're all well i can see that you feel a little defensive yeah about i do it drives me crazy it drives uh, me so, crazy so let me ask you this then about yeah. uta and then we'll get off of it yeah uh, you you came out of all of that fine. Thank you. Uh, it, it didn't it didn't hurt you politically. It doesn't didn't seem to hurt your reputation, yeah. and you came out of it fine. And I think part of the reason is you address it frankly, like you just did. Yeah. So, but there's all this stuff in the legislature now. They're saying, well, UTA is just it's just awful. People have a horrible impression of it. Uh, we need to revamp how it's run, and we need to change the name to transportation to something. Something. TDU or yeah. something like that, so, and rebranded and spend fifty million dollars to rebrand everything. <laughs> that just seems like bullshit to yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So let me let me explain. Let me walk you through because I actually support all those things you described, okay. except for bullshit. I, I I don't support bullshit. Okay. So, um, I I honestly believe that one of the challenges that's happened when you put one hundred and thirty miles of fixed rail, commuter rail, light rail, when you are now available for and helping eighty percent of Utah's population move and get around well over 40 million trips a year going on right now and climbing. Um, it's it, the, the governance model where I was a board member mm -hmm. and I'd have a one day I'd have a committee meeting and I'd have a board meeting. So I had two meetings a month. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're, if you're the chair, you, you have some other meetings, but generally speaking, your volunteer board was darkening the door of this, of this agency, this authority twice a month it's too much and it's too large and it's a victim of its own success in that that governing model um, wasn't, I don't believe it was working as it kept growing. I think it's just becomes Well, I would agree with that. I would agree so with that. So part of the change was to how do you get 
uh, people that are accountable to elected officials. How do you keep that conduit of communication? Uh, because UDOT, you know, Carlos Beceros and the one, the, you know, mm-hmm. Utah's Department of Transportation, that's a cabinet member of the governor. Uh, counties, they their their roads and cities, their roads, they have immediate accountability to their elected officials. Right. How do you strengthen the governance model? Not because it was a, it was bad per se, but as it grows, your governance model needs to get better, um, is my opinion. So you you have like the the public service commissions three full time members, the tax commissions three time, full time members. Um, some counties have three commissioners. The idea that you would have three appointed full time. Not darkening the door twice a month, but full-time members uh, is a strong, I believe, is a stronger governance model and needed and was was going to help it. But now this is the question. Well, now I agree with you to this point. Okay, so mm-hmm. this and then this becomes a question. This really came from the Senate, and I actually, I agreed with this. If you stop someone on the road and said, "Hey, what do you think about that big change on the governance model? Do you think? I mean, with all the criticism of UTA, do you feel better now? Nobody knows. Nobody knows what the governance model is." The, the attempt of changing the name was was an attempt to or is an attempt to say, hey, there is a change. It's not the same place it was. It has a different model. It's going it's a systemic change. And so the name change of the name was meant to be systemic. Now, the 50 million bucks, there isn't a there is not a fiscal note for 50 million dollars. There is a projected cost estimate, that UTA yeah. said it's going to cost us to do. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this question. Do you think you and I, if, if someone said to you, do a bid, figure out what the stickers cost, what the stationary cost, what all this stuff, mm-hmm. and get, and if you can get us a number south of 50 million, you get the contract. You think we could do it? I think we could. I don't think that number is, is as real as the, has been shared. I think there's just, there's, there's ways to kill bills, some kill bills, bill sometimes <laughs> in, uh, in the legislature. One is to, you know, oppose it and whatnot. Sometimes it's to, put fiscal notes or make it look so cost prohibitive, you don't want to do it. And I, I worry that that might have been part of the dialogue. But on the whole, I would argue that UTA is happy with the changes. We put UDOT, we might be the first state bill that uh, UDOT, our Department of Transportation, is not just programming roads anymore. They're, it's infrastructure. They're going to program the, the mass transit systems mm-hmm. as well as roads and even bicycle trails it should, all it should all be integrated it is and yeah. so i think that's a that's a multimodal approach and i'm very proud of it and i think on the whole uta would tell you they're happy with that new approach a funding source on the state side that will help with this as well um but again, I, you know, again i just I, disagree with the rebranding yeah. it doesn't seem I think you unnecessary should just, um just put a banner out on the headquarters that says "Under New Management." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll get the restaurant does. Put yeah. it on the buses too, for heaven's yeah. sake. I mean, I'll look. do it with a can of spray paint and a banner. <laughs> five million dollars tops. <laughs> yeah, I know. We can do it for tops. five mil. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that people. I don't. I think you give. You should give a little more credit to people if you say, "Look, this is how we've cleaned it up," and really, it's accountable. And I think, actually, I think it should go further. And I think the state should just run it all. Just, yeah, uh, just yeah. say, there's, you know, this is some, now under some merit to that. There is just on, under state control, you know, because particularly Utah, this is a pretty damn well-run state. In just in a business it sense, it's it runs well. And I just say, look, we're going to run all. And, of this. and here's the here's the here's the tough part these, about these it. These quasi-public things are. Just, I know. And, but here's here's the challenge with UTA. The rest of the country sees our transit system as one of the top shelf yeah. best uh, transit authorities in the country, not only for the, the, the capital development and how successful it was, but our on-time arrivals are over 90. When I say hours, see, I'm still talking like I'm still there. It's, the it's board, a Stockholm yeah. syndrome. That, mm-hmm. It's coming out of me right now. Um, but the on-time arrivals are over 90% for buses. It's over 95% on the on the fixed rail. 
Um, I went to, I was invited to go to Atlanta when they had a referendum for mass transit that had failed. And I said to them, what's your on-time arrival? And they said 60%. And I said, well, therein lies your problem. And they said, well, that's why we need the referendum because we need to put more resources in so we can improve it. And I said, but you're asking people to put more money into something they don't have a lot of faith in. It's kind of a chicken and an egg. Utah, UTA has, I think, on the, on the uh, services side, is second to none. And I think that you saw that right away, even as those light rail uh, systems came up, park and rides, cars filled those parking lots very quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the ridership shows that there's a lot of confidence in that, but the governance and the politics behind it has been the, has been the challenge. And so one of the issues we said, look, counties, cities, you want more money for roads. We passed a bill in 15 that says all three of you have to come to the public and do it together to ask for a sales tax increase for services for roads and but also for rail do it all together and the counties and cities after that first referendum failed in salt lake uh, county and in utah county they didn't want to partner with uta anymore because mm-hmm. they felt they were a drag on their efforts we wanted to change that we want to change we we have to, we cannot afford for our mass transit authority to not be seen as the valuable stakeholder that it is it has to be it has to keep growing in in ridership it has to continue to be successful or we're just going to go into complete gridlock at all times of the day lower the price that'll help we're we're at an hour so So we got okay hustle hustle. Uh, okay sorry sorry Uh, medicaid expansion yes oh god Um, i know i know I, i don't think that you i think that you care about people I do. I, and, as, and, and we won't get into the work uh, you've done with the homeless because, because it's all great. And that's Thanks. all we need Thanks. to say about it. Okay. You, you, you have done great work with uh, that, trying to help with that homeless situation down and cleaning out the Rio Grande and all of that. And that is in large part you uh, with, uh, with, of course, Spencer Cox and yep. uh, Ma- Mayor McAdams and, and uh, Biscops. Yep. You know, but you guys got on it, and it's, it seems to be working, and that's great. Thank you for that. But Medicaid expansion drives me crazy, and I think it drives uh, Utahns crazy. And we get to this point where we keep we keep turning down the federal money. We have turned down the Medicaid uh, money the the federal government under Obama offered us, mm-hmm. and the, uh, to help these people who are falling through the cracks. Estimates of what was it twenty six thousand or uh, one hundred twenty? I forget the number. One hundred thirty thousand. And they fall through the cracks, and and so the governor comes with a plan that's not quite as doesn't cover quite as many. But no, the, the we can't we can't do that, and we just have wor- worried after this and worried after this for five years or more. Um, and I think people I think m- people in Utah, the voters, are saying, let's just cover these people. Yeah. Now I know what your argument is. Do you? I think I do. Kay. I'll, so you do you want me to tell you what I think it yeah, is, yeah, or please, you let yeah. him tell you what his argument? Well, well go ahead, okay. tell me what your argument. Is. So I and I don't know if you saw, but we we did pass a uh, Medicaid expansion with the, the waivers for so for the issues that I'm going to describe were the barriers to getting this passed back in 15. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a new administration, and we have passed a Medicaid expansion bill that addresses the the, the issues I'm going to describe. And if we get those waivers, which we've heard there's there's interest in that, I think that we finally overcome this donut hole or this gap of coverage. I believe that we can. Okay. So I and so, I I've heard about this, but yeah. Go ahead. So it's- so here's the here's the uh, here's here's what the problem was, and I can use it in this analogy. I'm going to buy you a car, and you only have to pay ten percent. Are you in? Mm-hmm. The yeah. question that you or anyone else, if I made that offer to you, uh, would be, well, what would that car? be is that a bentley is that a a honda civic what is it because my 10 percent 
while it's only 10 and there's 90% that you're generous enough to pay, the 10% will have a dollar amount and it, and it could be very different in terms of what kind of car you're talking about. The state legislature doesn't print money, so it balances budgets. And then when the budget comes out of whack and it's out of, it's out of balance because money's not arriving by way of taxpayer or something's happened, we got to go in a special session. We got to cut until we can balance it all out. The, the big challenge with ACA the Affordable Care Act, and the Medicaid expansion was every state had to say, I'm in for 10%, period. Mm -hmm. Whatever that number is, so whatever the cost of health care grows, whatever the, they call it the take-up rate, however many people uh, sign up, whatever that is, you will pay the 10% of whatever that future cost will be. And that may go up. And it, and not only would it may, what we were looking back at 15 is the states that had were early adopters of this and and we looked at what their math when they went to their legislature and they said and they used like look and they did this legitimately they went to insurance actuarials and said hey look at this and tell us what you think it'll be because nobody wants to just you know take a chance on 10 percent. they want to know what that 10 percent is going to look like so they go through an actuarial process they look at it they they think they know what that number is so that they can put their 10 percent in eventually because it was like free it's like an rc willie deal no payments for three years right. till you get here and then you got to pay so which was a draw for many states. So, but two, I think two-thirds of the states. Yes, are. I mean, for, you know, if you don't have to pay for three years, mm -hmm. uh, rock and roll. So anyway, we looked, we looked at the states that tried to predict what that cost would be, but the costs were, were, were approaching double what they wanted it to be. Now, I will tell you that if I thought, that if the state thought under its best, best math that it's 10% were, let's just take a number, let's just say it was $40 million dollars. If we woke up or we walked into a session and that was eighty million, know this. The next day, you mean like a well, yeah, or yeah, the or next year. Next you know, year it rolls million. out. Yeah. more people mm -hmm. sign up, or healthcare goes up, and guess what? Your ten percent—it's eighty million, not forty. You're going to pay it because you've agreed to, and it's coming from somewhere. Mm -hmm. I got three big pots of money. You can't you can't wipe out corrections. You can't say no more corrections. I need forty more million dollars. You're gone. You can't wipe out small. You got three pots that are deep enough that. You could start to tap out of 80 million bucks. You got health, other health and human services uh, appropriations. You have public ed and higher ed. It's got to come from somewhere. And so the uncertainty of, so we we literally went back, Bill, to Secretary Burwell. She was she's running health and human services. Went back with the governor and everyone else. And she's a great lady. And she worked in the Clinton administration. She was part of a Democrat administration that balanced the federal budget. Mm. Okay, right. no deficit. Mm -hmm. We said, just check our math. We'll bring actuarials. You'll see we're going to be sincere, but we got to budget to, an, I got to know what that number is. And we'll do it. We'll do it honestly. We'll do it forthrightly. But if that number grows, I got to have a number. We do it in everything else. She wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. Therein lies probably, we can talk about other issues, but that budget uncertainty and where we would make up that difference from other important budget priorities as well yeah. was the big hangup. We couldn't, I, I just, I wouldn't do it. Okay, now I would just say to that that it, in the long run, it doesn't matter. You have to do it because those people, yeah, those hundred and thirty thousand people, they're they're in bad shape, and they're continuing to be in bad shape. And we need to take care of them, whatever the cost. Now, tell me what the so you just you and uh, the legislature just got this uh, proposal uh, uh, to uh, take care of uh, women. Single mothers who are uh, who need insurance and some other categories. That's what you're going to no, tell me about. No, it's um, it's really just this. We will we will expand and we will cover the gap. But 
we need right now. Uh, Jim Dunnigan passed, Representative Dunnigan passed a, a, a more modified, tr- what we call traditional Medicaid. It gets wonkish, but under traditional Medicaid, which by the way, Medicaid is for children and people that are disabled. Um, when you expand it to include people's household income, uh, Jim Dunnigan's bill, Representative Dunnigan's bill uh, was limited. It was a 70% federal and 30% uh, state match, which is what for disabled people that are disabled or children that's what that's the formula mm-hmm. um the medicaid expansion is 90 10 but anyway right. so under 70 30 we asked for certain uh waivers that we finally received but it was for uh it was all it was an income it was like zero percent income so people that were homeless it was it were people that were coming out of drug courts it was people that needed the behavioral beds the treatment beds for addiction mm-hmm. things like mm-hmm. that but we were we have we we've identified about thirty a little more than thirty million a year for that. Mm-hmm. Well, we heard from the the Trump administration if we could address your issues of a cap. So, and cap sounds bad, but everything in government, if you're balancing a budget, is a cap. It's a it's a dollar amount you've committed, and that's what it's going to cost. That's what we're going to mm-hmm. pay. If we if if they the message back to us is was if we would let you budget to a number, and that would be your ten percent. And uh, and then also the uh, the way the ACA worked is they wanted all states when they were expanding to cover a portion that was already covered through ACA. So it's again wonkish, but up to a hundred percent of federal poverty level, anything above that. So that's if, to give you an example. If you're a single person, are you married? Okay. If you were making twelve thousand dollars a year, oh, he wishes. You let's were, just say. <laughs> let's just say hypothetically, mm-hmm. you're making twelve thousand a year. You would be at the hundred percent of federal poverty level right okay at twelve thousand as a single guy um if you made thirteen thousand you then would qualify for the exchange right the, this, the obama exchange i know this situation very well because he does okay. it because so, i'm in the exchange so yeah so but what the aca was saying before is the gap was zero to a hundred percent when you made thirteen thousand you're already covered but the but what the uh, but the Obama administration wants us to do is to go to up to 140. So they said of the of that 100 to 140 that we already cover, we want you to cover them as well. So that was a problem. So we said so the the Trump administration said, what if we just said you only have to cover the gap because that's the only that's the group that's not currently covered. You don't have is to. Is that the 130,000? Uh, no, that's that's less because um, oh 130,000 that's not covered. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but the but. Cover the gap. Don't you don't have to go into the group that's already covered like we used to have to. You just go to a zero to one hundred and you budget, but you got to use real numbers. You can't just put your finger to the wind. You got to show actuarials and do it. But you can estimate what you think those costs will legitimately be. We think those are waivers that we would like to accept because we'd like a red state like Utah to expand it, but we'd like to address whatever concerns kept you out of the out of the deal. So, so that's the bill we ran, and we still have to get those waivers. But we think that that's, a, that's something I can bank on. That's something that I know I can deliver. The worst part about it, if we care about people, is to overpromise and underdeliver. My biggest fear with the way it was rolling out before was we would make these grand promises of covering people, and you might. But when you get into that Health and Human Services Appropriations Committee, you have things like hospice care. It's a little detail, but you have people that haven't been given a raise or they've not seen the the, the the employees that would come in to, to help people in their homes, which is such a, a less expensive way to provide health care, mm-hmm. the, the turnover was 85% of people working in there because the pay was so lousy. So we, over the last three years, have been trying to increase that pay so we can get people that want to stay in that job. 
little things like that. I, I just, I don't want to see some of those other areas that we try to help people in the health and human services world. That money's sure. not there because we have these costs that we can't contain. You so know, it's dependability, uh, Bill, is what we needed. Something that we can, we know can happen. And so, oh, this is what I love. So that $30 million we were using for Representative Dunnigan's bill, yeah. we just say, look, the people that Representative Dunnigan was trying to help were part of this group. We'll go to the 90%. We just want the same amount we were already paying. But now we get a 90%. That's now we get a 90% match for that same amount of money. And then the hospitals are going to kick in a little more, too, for that. So anyway, yeah, I know a lot, a lot of machinations. But at the end of the day, we were already putting money to try and help a portion of the group that was uncovered. We think we've expanded that group that's uncovered to help them if we get these waivers. Um, and we think that's good policy, and it's, it's bankable policy. Well, there are still people who are uncovered. And and we still and we're we're still five years away. We're still five years now, or something like that. That we've been dithering over yeah. this, and people are not getting covered. But I, you know what, though, I'm as, but we got to be a little critical over the feds too. I don't think our requests were unreasonable. Fine. I think that that, that they could have given a little too. I we, do. I, well, but 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 you got to admit we we refused. The state refused to budge on a lot of stuff too. Well, the stuff I, I described to yeah. you. It's true. And I and I just I wish that I wish that. And I know this is this is liberal policy, <laughs> but you say you say, look, there may be problems with this down the road. We'll figure it out. Let's get these people covered now. Yeah, and, and, and that's I, and my I, feeling. No, on and it. I look, and I, I respect that. Um, the, but the only challenge that I would argue is that it is so much harder to take something away uh, than it is to to well, give. Well, I see what uh, you're saying, but. and and so that's 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 where. And sometimes I worry that when you get into these long, long budget line items. You can start picking on areas of, of funding that people see that. won't see mm -hmm. that will have a detrimental impact. Mm -hmm. And so that's the scary part, too, is that that I'll tell you what, those members of, of the House and Senate that are on the, the Health and Human Services Appropriations Committee, they meet twice, more than twice as much as any other appropriations committee. They need hazard pay for the work they do in trying to get this right, because it is an incredible. I mean, it's an emotional uh, endeavor too in public policy. Yeah. So and, I say, and it's and yeah and 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 I would just say your car analogy is terrible. Don't, don't use that again <laughs> because it, people, are not, so. no, people no, are not cars. No, people are not cars. People are not cars. I know, but but again, let's not let's not. I'm not I'm not demeaning people uh, to cars. I'm just trying to show. Ma I'm just give me a math. I'm just talking math. Mm -hmm. I need to I need to say that the math matters because I'll tell you what. If you ignore the math. It all still comes down to math, Bill. Well, well okay, here's a car analogy. Yeah. I need a car, and it's your job to build a car. I don't know how to do it, but you need to build a car. Yeah. Figure it out. Figure out how to wait. <laughs> oh, this your job hey. is to figure no, it anyway. out. I, and I'm a partner. Look, just it's, do it it's faster. A federal program. I'm not saying I'm, you're I'm, not I'm, trying the, to figure it out. We're the state guys. No, no. I agree with you. Mm -hmm. I, to that, I'm telling you, that's... That's what I love about the legislature. What people won't probably don't see is we leave room for disagreement because we have to, because we got to find agreement. We got to find that common ground. So it's never going to be someone's best idea. It's the best idea that has in the House 38 votes. Mm -hmm. So I, I hear what you're saying, and I agree with that. I should it's get just elected. Just the anger I think of like people like me, like the common person. It's yeah. just like okay, but your job is to do it. So. What? Please do it. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. We we got to go, but just let me ask. 
you're you're leaving, you're stepping down. You don't have to. You would get reelected again if you wanted to run I, I again. I think I could. I don't want to be cocky about it, but I think I'm I sure could have had a I'm sure you would be reelected again. You're uh, uh, you're good. Your uh, people like you, I think, in your district. they th- they. I believe that people in your district, even though they may not agree with you, feel that they can come and talk to you mm-hmm. about what's going on. I try on. to be so, accessible. Uh, you're, but you're leaving, and uh, and people, of course, want to know. Why? What's going on? Where are you going? Why are you doing this? And I'm sure you have a plan. <laughs> I'm. Uh, you are not the kind of guy who is just going to step down and not have a plan. So you have a plan. Uh, well, I, I don't tell me you're just going to think about things and watch the clouds and go fishing. So I don't have a concrete plan. I really don't. Okay. I am. Um, I'm tired. Also, I, the more you know, the more you do. The more you bet. do, the more it, it, it you leave other uh, priorities of your life undone and. I, I, I've served longer than I thought I would. 16 years is a long time. Um, also, uh, you know, I, I just think, uh, anyway, I, it, it was, I could, j- there's some kind of internal clock that went off and I, I just knew. I knew I could come back, but I just thought that uh, I don't want to overstay my welcome. And I, I just thought we were, it was, it was time. I'm not a church mouse and I'm not going away. I can guarantee you that. Mm-hmm. I got opinions. Um, I don't, I, I don't, but I don't know what form that will necessarily take, but I will tell you, I haven't ruled anything out. So if people are, are looking at a governor's race or they're looking at other issues or other races, all I would say is, you know, it is so early right now and I'm still on the clock as the, as the speaker. I've got work and meetings till, till the end of December. Mm -hmm. So we're, I'm still working. Um, everyone just, Keep their powder dry. We'll see what the world looks like. Let's see. You know, we'll we'll we'll, we'll come there up with something. There are opportunities. There, I think there are. But I, I, uh, I you, uh, could I say this? You would remain in public life. You will remain in public life. I I I love it. I love it actually more in my day job. You know what I do for a living. I which is what yeah. I have multifamily apartments. I mm-hmm. I build and and then own mm-hmm. and operate yeah. apartments. But I guess I knew that. But yeah. let me ask you. Let me turn the microphone around. Mm-hmm. What do you think I should do? <sighs> <laughs> Jump in a lake. That's a really yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Take a long walk off, yeah. off a short pier. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 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 what do I think you I should do? I love seeing you, Scorsese. This is so good. I'm That's glad finally I get to ask you. Uh, what do I think you should do? You know, I I think that you would be very valuable in a non-political but public position. Yeah. Uh, but not lobbyists. No, somebody. No. no, don't do that. Somebody, uh, I thought I read somewhere that you, there was some thought that you might be head of the Salt Lake Chamber of Commerce. Yeah, um, didn't didn't work out. No, yeah. but but a job like that, some yeah. a, a public face, a public job, yeah. or you know, a, a job where you're out and about and and people see you are visible. But I don't want you making policy. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay, touche, I just, sir. I just touche. don't want you making yeah. policy. <laughs> Uh, Greg Hughes, pleasure to have you on the show. Happy to be here. Uh, uh, it's, it's gr- What's that yeah. pin on your jacket, by the way? It's an elephant. Oh, it's well, an yeah, elephant. Yeah. Uh, nice. I'd get you one. That's fine. I have a pin for you I can get you. Yeah. We can trade maybe. What do you do to stay in shape, by the way? Uh, I try. Uh, yeah, I, I actually, you know, non-contact boxing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just do try like to work out. Holding up yeah, the mitts, heavy backs. I try to do that. And I... Look, I've been getting on the treadmill mm-hmm. and like binge watching on Netflix and Amazon Prime, and just like a watching a TV show that. and just walking. I don't, I don't want to run because mm-hmm. I like to breathe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a, it's at a maybe a brisk clip. Mm-hmm. I walk, but I'll, mm-hmm. I'll walk for like an hour, mm-hmm. watch a show, mm-hmm. try to do that. So. 
Really a pleasure to sit down and talk to you. Best of luck uh, when you leave the legislature. Thank you, Bill. Uh, I hope you're, I hope, and your your family is, looks like a, it's a great family. And They're good. I'm, I'm, I'm punching above my weight when it comes to that family. Okay. And, you know, you're lucky. You could just, maybe if you wanted to, you could just go do, do apartments and and just well, be a dad. I got a business partner that would love to introduce me to the definition of partnership. <laughs> and, you know, that's, that's long overdue. So, All right, that's it for the Let's Go Eat Show. Greg Hughes, our guest. I'm Bill Allred. Remember, thanks, Dylan, for producing, by the way. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm Bill Allred. And remember, if you're pouring the drinks, always make mine a double. Broadway Media Podcast Network.